Life can take a long time to unfold. Sometimes you are left waiting in the wings for years, struggling along, hoping for your dream to come true. And then sometimes when you have given up all hope, the dream arrives neatly packaged on your doorstep. We have a story like that for you today with the surprising and lovely twists and turns you may have come to expect from life. I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best. And we're here to share a story in which everything turns out okay, but only after a long, long, long time. Yeah, hi, I'm Jamie Hollowell. I um, have uh, had a lot of miscarriages and have had a lot of issues becoming a mom. I am Bonnie Jacobs. I am Jamie's cousin, and uh, I'm involved in her story. So Jamie and I are what are called double cousins. So her mom and my mom are sisters. Her dad and my dad are brothers. In fact, her parents set up my parents. Well, really, it was her mom's idea. So Jamie and I were very close growing up. We're six months apart in age. I always thought Jamie was crazy when we were growing up because she wanted, and I'm exaggerating obviously, but she wanted a bajillion kids. She wanted a football team, which made no sense to me, but okay. Yeah, I always babysat, had tons of nieces and nephews because I'm the youngest, um, and then got married. Uh, My husband also has a very large family. He's the oldest, and so... His youngest sibling was like four when we got married. So I've always been around kids, always planned on having a big family. She and Troy got married 17-ish years ago, and I expected them to have kids like right away. And at that point, I had a a one-year-old. My daughter was one. And then about two years later, you'd have to check with her about times because I... You know, I had my own stuff going on, so I don't know times real well. But about two years later, um, I got told she was pregnant. And I was super excited for her, even though, you know, just through everything, we'd kind of drifted apart. We weren't as close as we had been when we were younger. Began trying after maybe two years of marriage and then had a miscarriage. And then a subsequent miscarriage. And that was when we were in Las Vegas. Um, my husband was finishing up his undergrad and then we moved to Wyoming so he could attend law school there. But I was super excited because I knew that's what she always wanted. And then I found out that she had a miscarriage and of course I was really sad for her and thought that just had to be the worst thing, especially knowing how much she wanted kids. And as time went by, I kept hearing about her getting pregnant and then miscarrying and that's when we had our third miscarriage. And they don't really consider it, consider it infertility until after there's been three miscarriages. Or like a certain period of time without any pregnancies. Maybe they weren't talking or seeing each other as much, but there was still an awareness of the life the other was living. And that quieter, more internal closeness was still strong between them. They were each going their own ways and living their own lives. Bonnie is a single mom, and Jamie is a teacher and wife who very much hoped to be a mom. But I was getting pregnant. So when we had that third miscarriage in Wyoming, we didn't have health insurance, I don't believe. Maybe my husband had some through law school. I'm trying to remember, but I don't think I did because I was just substitute teaching at the time. So 
we did reach out to some doctors, got a little bit, our, like our toes wet in, into the medical, <laughs> like trying to see, okay, well, let's do some tests and see what's wrong. And nothing came up conclusive. Jamie and Troy were, of course, sad and confused about why their pregnancies always ended much too soon. But the fact that they were happening, that Jamie was getting pregnant, was, in some ways, encouraging. Certainly, it would eventually work. Right? And we had a big family reunion on our mom's side of the family up at Glacier National Park. I know that Jamie and Troy had been trying and they'd had a lot of problems with it. And I had been thinking about it a lot and praying about it a lot. And so I was just like, okay, I don't want more kids, but I really like being pregnant. So while we were in Glacier, a bunch of us were riding on a boat. We were just discussing kids and stuff like that. And I had made a comment of, I loved being pregnant. I would be pregnant again, but I don't want more kids. And Jamie's older sister, Bethany, actually said something about you should be a surrogate for Jamie. And I said, actually, I was going to talk to her about that because I was wanting to do that. Jamie was sitting in that conversation, but like not really engaging in it. And she kind of had this look of, I don't want to talk about this. So I, I dropped it at that point. And Bethany did too. But I took Jamie and Troy to the airport and I did bring it up at that point that, you know, I meant it, I I would be a surrogate for them if they wanted me to. But like I said, at that point, I just don't think they were ready. Well, I know they weren't. This is true. They weren't ready. After their third miscarriage, when they first started looking for answers to the miscarriage mystery, Jamie started trying all of the things. Acupuncture, chiropractic alignment, a gluten-free diet, supplements, explorations of her reproductive organs, and even getting genetic testing on one of the miscarried fetuses Jamie managed to save. The tests all came back normal. Meanwhile, in the four years they lived in Wyoming, the miscarriage count grew from four to 11. And Jamie, being at peak fertility years, was constantly subject to a barrage of well-meaning but invasive questions. Everyone and anyone that saw us would ask about, are you having kids? I even got asked, do you want kids? By like, just somebody who didn't even know me. And then everyone has advice. Have you tried this? Consider this. And I know everyone means well. I don't think it comes from a place of ill intent or any of that, but it sure feels very, (laughs) very personal and you know, again, we didn't have any answers. And so, between miscarriages, the medical explorations, and the social pressure, Jamie entered an exhausting cycle. But after every miscarriage, there would be a time of, like, mourning, you know, time of just regrouping and saying, okay, I'm done. Like, this was too hard. This was too much. And then I would brace myself up again and be like, okay, well, let's try, let's try getting some answers again. That's one of the things about unexplained fertility. It's so hard to get out of your mind and move on. Every month, generally speaking, you have a period and your fertility is brought to mind again. You wonder if there's anything else you can do. You are sure your body is functioning normally. 
You are puzzled by the way it seems to be failing in this extremely consequential way. Perhaps if you did not want to have children, the monthly menstrual cycle would fade to the background in importance. But for someone who very much wants to have children and cannot, the physical cycle begets a mental and emotional cycle of hope and of searching for answers. For anything that might break the cycle and get you onto more solid ground, one way or another. And this cycle repeated over and over and over again. And then there were some times when I would get pregnant and I would just feel overwhelmed with stress and grief and just like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I can't be a mom. Like, I think I, by this point I was such an older mom. I mean, not really, but in terms of the culture I grew up in, I was an older mom. This internal chatter about being an older mom was just a part of Jamie's mental cycle. Another part was feeling that maybe she wasn't cut out to be a mom, as she'd always thought. Throughout the years, Jamie had not just been sitting around waiting for things to happen. She'd been moving forward with her life in all the ways that she could. And so I had had years of working and life experience and travel and like, okay, can I give this up for kids? Am I ready? And then I would lose the baby and I would feel like I, it was my fault. The stress of me going through this inner dialogue of anxiety, I killed my baby because obviously the doctors didn't have an answer. So there must be something wrong with me. It must've been my fault. So all of this goes on year after year, year after year. What Jamie experienced, her internal ambivalence about being able to sacrifice the life that she had for a child as being related to the multiple miscarriages is not unusual. In the face of unexplainable, painful circumstances, we try to create a story that makes sense, that can help us manage the pain. Not only did Jamie not have any answers about her inability to carry a pregnancy to term, she was also limited by the language we use around pregnancy and childbirth. Language that has a way of putting women in a harsh light at multiple points in the process and of giving and taking away power or control at all the wrong moments. One such moment is miscarriage. A mother loses the baby as if she was inadequate, as if it was her fault, which of course gives rise to the idea that maybe this accident of nature, something that is usually a protective measure for both mother and baby, is a sign that she is unfit. Of course, there are many counterexamples to prove that even the least capable among us can bring a child into the world. But when you are literally the center of a story, which always seems to end in heartache and loss, it could be nearly impossible to not make yourself the reason that things are not working out. Jamie went through cycles of hopefulness and despair, of motivation and torpor. But one moment that sticks out as a motivating force for her came in a very innocent and unassuming package. There, of course, were times people offered adoption and we were just like, I don't think that's for us. There were times people offered surrogacy, but I'm like, but I can get pregnant. Why would I need somebody else to have my baby? So that just seems weird, whatever. And then fast forward, I was 35. I had, I had gone through a bunch of schooling, additional schooling to change careers and had been accepted into a doctor program. Um, to get my doctor of physical therapy. And I stumbled across my husband's essay that he wrote as a fourth grader in his perfect little cursive handwriting. And it was adorable. I wanted a little person that was part him. I wanted that in my life. I wanted, I just, that I just loved the little boy, Troy, you know, I just was like, oh my goodness, there was just, you were this little person once. And I 
want to have a little person that's like you. Coming across Troy's childhood writing seemed to expose a fork in the road for Jamie and Troy. And it became a decision splitting moment where it's like, I can either go to school or we can do this like, because IVF is not just a simple, oh, let's just do this thing. It is, you know, time is consuming, it's expensive. So we decided, okay, let's just try one more time. The doctor, our reproductive endocrinologist, he was like, well, maybe they're just abnormal. Maybe that's what it is. And at least you'd have an answer. So we went through the process of, you know, which it is, it is quite the process of to do everything for egg retrieval. And then they tested them and we ended up having five embryos come back normal. And so we're like, all right, let's, let's just see what happens. So we put in a a baby, a girl and a boy, they both took, and I was pregnant with twins. And for the first time, more than any of the others, which by the way, this is up to, I think, 16th pregnancy. And I wanted them so badly. All that anxiety was gone. And I just had this longing. I mean, it's funny because it built over time, you know, and perhaps that's just true of life. The more you want something, the more when you finally get it, you're like, okay, I'm ready. And she truly did want it. And she probably always had, even as she also tried to protect herself from the disappointment. During this process, Jamie had become involved in some online communities for IVF and infertility support. And it was there, while pregnant with twins, that she found a path forward and out of the cycle. During this whole process, I had joined several Facebook groups that were support groups for IVF as well as infertility in general. And I had just kind of shared my story a little bit about my symptoms and how my pregnancies, I'd get pregnant, but then I would always miscarry between eight and 11 weeks. And somebody responded and said, that sounds like autoimmune. You should reach out to Dr. Braverman. And so I got on his uh, website and got a free consultation. Um, This is a doctor that's in New York or in Manhattan. He called me and over the phone, he said, okay, well, when you miscarry, let me know. And I just remember feeling devastated. I was like, what are you talking about? I've got twins. These are normal embryos. Like, everything's great. Like, what are you talking about? And then sure enough, the Friday that I was about to start my two weeks off for fall break, I went to get my normal checkup. This was at, I think they should have been about nine weeks, nine and a half weeks of our long. They were measuring at about eight, eight and a half. And one, the heartbeat had stopped and one, the heartbeat was super slow. So that was the end of October. And by January, I was flying to New York City. I had had given 17 vials of blood to start a full immune panel with Dr. Braversman. He was one of three in the country that are known to be reproductive immunologists. During that time, while Jamie was waiting to hear from Dr. Braverman, another family member approached Jamie with an offer to be her gestational surrogate. And I was like, slow your roll. Like, we're working with this doctor and, you know, everything's going to be fine. Like, there are options for us. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it just felt, I don't know. Like, I still wanted to carry my own baby. And so it felt 
just felt presumptuous. And so I'm like, no. But a few weeks after that, they got the results from all the tests and blood work Dr. Braverman's office had done. So the panel, the immune panel that came back from both myself and my husband is that I create antibodies against four specific things that Troy has. So no matter what, I will attack his DNA. And so since half of every baby is half of him, uh, it, won't, it wouldn't work out. And there are some things you can do. There are people who will get put on IVG infusions and put on immune suppressant drugs, but it's basically like transplant medicine for at least before you conceive and then the entire pregnancy. And there's still a chance that you could have an antibody get through and then it would be a late term loss, which I had never dealt with. And because you're getting infusions every week or possibly every three or four days, and you have to have a nurse come administer it and it takes five hours. So I wouldn't be able to work. And like, we're talking upwards of $200,000 or more just for the infusions, let alone everything else that's involved. So Troy and I just kind of said, all right, I guess that means we're just not going to be parents. We're just going to be done with this. And I was 36 at this time, maybe, maybe 37 by the time we found it or close to 37 by the time we found out all of this. And so we just said, all right, that's it. And it's still a very fulfilling life and we'll just move forward. There was still that offer from another family member, but after Jamie had said no and told her about the possibility of other options, the family member had gotten pregnant with her own baby and was no longer available. It was a development that hurt, but also paved the way for Jamie to make peace with moving out of the cycle and forward with their life without motherhood. But then, kind of randomly, Jamie reconnected with Bonnie. Not that they had ever disconnected, just drifted as they were both living their lives and not living in close proximity to each other. Jamie asked a question on Facebook. Bonnie responded via text, which led to a phone call, which led to an hour and a half catching up. But right at the end there, she was like, hey, just so you know, I'll be I'll be your surrogate. And I was just like, yeah, whatever, Bonnie. Like, you don't know everything that's entailed in it. Like, it's IVF, like, times 100, because all of the attorneys, all of the, the psych evaluations and the hormones. It's, I'm like, nah, you're like, no, I will. And I'm like, yeah, but always in passing when she had mentioned it before, I was just like, yeah, whatever. Like number one, I was, I wasn't to that point. And number two, I think sometimes people say things because they want to feel magnanimous about it and be like, yeah, I would do this for you. But like, they're offering this huge gift that I don't know if they would really do. So I was just like, Bonnie, you know what? Why don't you just pray about it and get back to me? And she said, Jamie, I've been praying about it for the last five years. Yeah, I I know I'm ready. And um, so of course I started crying because I'm like, are you, are you serious? Are you, are you real? (laughs) And she's like, yeah. So um, we got off the phone and the very next day I started researching what it would take, what the process was like and making it happen. After that phone call, things moved really fast, at least on the legal side. Attorneys were quick to draw up papers that would allow them to move forward with the physical process of getting Bonnie pregnant with Jamie and Troy's baby. 
But with one thing and another, it took several months to work through the complexities of ovulation and transfer and all of that. And while Bonnie thought she was ready to be a surrogate, she admits that it was much more involved and invasive than she had anticipated. Still, she stuck with it and carried not only the physical weight, but a lot of the emotional weight as well. 17 years and 17 miscarriages had done a lot to erode Jamie's confidence in a good outcome. And the three of them kept the pregnancy from their families for months before they felt comfortable sharing the news. I was going to say, yeah, and how they didn't tell the family and how my parents were like constantly hounding me. When are Jamie and Troy going to tell their parents? When are Jamie and Troy going to tell their parents? When they're ready, take a chill pill. Yeah. So obviously (laughs) all the miscarriages, we wanted to wait until after we'd gotten past 12 weeks, but we'd gotten past 12 weeks not until after Thanksgiving. And so we wanted to do it with like a holiday when we could be there in person with everyone. And Troy's family was here with us in during Thanksgiving, but my family wasn't. And so we waited till Christmas. So Bonnie was actually 16 weeks by the time we finally told everyone. And I have to say those 16 weeks went by so slow, (laughs) so slowly. And I filled my time making tons of Christmas crafts. I think I started crafting for Christmas in October because I was looking forward to Christmas so much when we would finally be able to, to tell everyone and share the yeah, news. Because you had a lot of stuff when I came down in end of October for the um, eight week ultrasound. Yeah, you, you were like showing me the stuff you'd done. Yeah. And Troy, at one point, Troy cautioned me because of course we've gone through this countless times almost. He's just like, Jamie, you, you really shouldn't be buying baby clothes yet. You really shouldn't be like prepping all this, like, uh, like doing the Christmas card announcement. And I said, you know what? I'm strong enough. I'm strong enough at this point. I can take that back to the store if I need to. (laughs) I can deal with loss. I know loss. Jamie and Troy were maybe cautiously optimistic, maybe a little bit resigned. What they lacked in confidence, Bonnie made up for. She radiated hope and belief in Jamie and Troy's ability to be great parents to the baby she just knew would be born healthy and well. Once the news was out that Jamie and Troy were going to have a baby after all these years and losses and unanswered questions, it was high time for a community-wide celebration. We had a joint baby shower uh, in Utah with family. Um, Bonnie and her mom drove out to be there. And since we share all the same relatives, she came and cousins and aunts and, and, you know, then a bunch of my friends from my childhood and friends from college and friends from Wyoming came. It was such a special day. I have to say, I have never felt more loved. I don't think I've had a single day where I've, I've felt more loved than that shower. Yeah, it's just, I still am getting teary. I remember telling Bonnie about this, but like, and I called Troy on the drive home because I was like, it was something magical, you know, throughout my life of going to other people's baby showers and being supportive as a part of their team and their tribe. And then being on the receiving end of it felt so different. It felt so different to finally be to that place and to feel so supported by all of these women. It felt like a rite of passage that was finally getting and it was, it was just really cool. If Jamie had felt alone and isolated during those years of loss and wondering, it became clear that her entire family, all her friends from all stages of her life, had been there silently standing by and hoping and praying for Jamie. 
She had been focused on the problem and hadn't seen them, didn't know that they were there. Uh, that was a really magical day and Bonnie got to be there with me because, you know, she's the MVP. And then afterward we went and got uh, the maternity photo shoot and that was, that was, that was so fun. fun. That was so fun. Bonnie got to feel like the princess and, uh, and then I was in a few of them with her. And so that was, that was something really magical too. And actually, this is kind of a big deal. This gets to the twist I was not expecting. Because I went into this story thinking it was Jamie's story of redemption and healing. She's the one who fought through 17 years and 17 miscarriages and is finally going to have the baby she's dreamed of since childhood. To be honest, I thought Bonnie was a loving and generous friend who saw her cousin's pain and felt moved to alleviate it. But of course there is more to it than that. Of course. I'll let Bonnie tell you about it. Yeah, Jamie, actually, at one point, because we had all those little hiccups along the way, actually did ask me at one point, she's like, are you sure you're, you you really want to do this? Or is this just you, like, you're afraid to say you changed your mind? And I, that's when I told her, I'm like, no, Jamie, you don't understand. I'm not being totally selfless here. Like, everybody seems to think I am. I want to be pregnant, and I want to get to enjoy being pregnant and have a good happy, totally exciting pregnancy experience without all the fear and anxiety. I am not by any stretch of the imagination wanting to go back on this and have changed my mind. I'm actually very annoyed about all these little setbacks. So like I said, with with Faith, she was not planned. Her dad and I had, had split up before I found out I was pregnant. So my pregnancy with Faith well, it was, I enjoyed being pregnant. Like I said, I, I like being pregnant. I don't know why I can't explain it. I just do. But it was a very scary experience. And I was floundering. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I was, I didn't get to really enjoy it because there was so much anxiety about. I'm 21 years old. How am I supposed to take care of a kid? How am I going to do this? I can't take care of myself. It was very scary. <laughs> so, and actually, you know, it's, it, yeah, it was just a very, very different experience from, from, from what Jamie and Troy are having with, you know, having tried so long and so hard and, you know, and now they, they get to be parents and they're going to be fabulous parents and I'm so excited for them and so happy for them. So getting to be pregnant and like thoroughly enjoy every minute of it and it be a super exciting, happy experience has been really fun and really wonderful. So that that has definitely been been a good thing is I get to thoroughly enjoy every minute of it and just revel in the excitement. I think we all hope for that type of experience, one of joyful anticipation free from the worries about how we are going to feed or clothe or care for a helpless human being. With one thing and another, that type of pregnancy is probably pretty rare. Whether it be previous loss, health conditions for the mother or baby, insurance or employment worries, there is always something. But sometimes life gives you a perfect circumstance, perfect opportunity to fill in the gap, to restore what was lost, to repair the breach. Bonnie saw that opportunity, and not only did it work out fairly seamlessly for her, but allowed her to keep Jamie and Troy afloat as well. 
throughout this whole experience, Bonnie has been nothing but optimistic and positive. You know, every time I'd be like, well, we don't know if this is going to work. And she would just say, yeah, it's going to work. It's fine. <laughs> or even before we were pregnant, I was like, well, we don't know if it's going to take on the first time. She's like, no, it's going to. <laughs> like, she's, just, <laughs> she's been the little magic, the extra little bit of magic, you know, that's on top of this whole pregnancy and, you know, all the additional scans and all the additional scares. It's been fine because Bonnie's that positive influence. So even though like I can be feeling the stress, Bonnie fills me with so much confidence and reassurance. So it's been pretty magical. And there's been some moments where I've been like panicked, like, oh my gosh, am I really ready? Here I am, this 40 year old who's had her whole life and autonomy and all of this, like I'm feeling like almost like an identity crisis, like, ah, what's going to happen? Um, but then again, I call Bonnie and without her even knowing the anxiety that I'm feeling, she just gets me excited. She gets me excited to be a mom and to take on this new journey and this new challenge. And in so many ways, she's been, you know, we liken her unto a, unto a savior figure because she's doing for us what we can't do ourselves. But in more ways than just carrying this baby, I feel like she has carried me emotionally too. <laughs> Bonnie was there at the right time for Jamie and all her friends who supported and prayed for her along the sidelines as she walked her long and arduous path towards motherhood. At the time, it didn't make sense, and the future seemed unstable and, in some ways, wrong. She was supposed to have a football team of kids by the time she was 40, remember? But now that she is looking back at that time, seeing the path and understanding how it fit into her story, Jamie can see things differently, more clearly, now. Obviously, hindsight helps you create meaning for other things that have happened, whether it's there or not. But at the same time, I do think in this unique circumstance is kind of been a blessing to not have kids if that makes sense because I've been able to deal with the trauma of not having kids so it's it's like because I don't have that um didn't have that because kids take a lot of time and energy and effort and and I didn't have that distraction so I could almost like process the grief a little bit better and so along the way I felt like I felt like I did I dealt with it and I without going to therapy, I feel like I did my own therapy, if that makes sense, where I could do some mindfulness and I could do, you know, meditation and different things that helped me process the loss a little differently than perhaps somebody else. I don't know, because it's hard to say because it's only my journey. It's only my experience. I can't really prescribe feelings and emotions to other people. I can only share what I went through. And it feels like looking back on it, I think that wasn't so hard. <laughs> It sounds horrible because it was. I'm sure there were moments where I'm like, I can't do this again. And moments where I felt despair and depressed and and like, what's the point? Like my whole, especially especially growing up, the culture that I did where a lot of your value or perceived value is in creating a family, um, multiplying and replenishing the earth. Like that is a really big focus. And so I often felt broken. And I felt like my body had betrayed me, um, especially after learning that it was my own fault, like it's my, my antibodies that attacked Troy. Like maybe if I'd married somebody else, I would have family. And maybe if he had married somebody else, he would have a big, beautiful family. And I felt like I had cheated Troy. Like 
because he married me, he didn't get to be a dad. Like there was definitely some of that, but I, I don't know. It seemed like I worked through it. And now here I am, I just get to <laughs> reap the rewards, but not by anything that I did myself. And that's where I think when I say I don't deserve it, it I didn't do anything to solve my problem. I mean, I just by living. <laughs> Just by existing, Bonnie's here sweeping in, solving my problem for me. It's an interesting concept, the idea of deserving. I mean, like, who deserves kids, right? Yeah. Like, anybody who, pretty much anybody who can make them, they deserve Yeah, like, it's like, <laughs> it, it's a, it's an interesting thing to apply to this. I, I know what you're saying, that, like, this was not, you know, that this is not something that you could have solved on your own, and so this maybe there's like a little element of like you're like a bystander yeah or something but uh, yeah it's it's a it's a funny concept to kind of apply to the situation because yeah like who deserves <laughs> so maybe that's the wrong word it's i guess it's more this this concept of worth right like mm-hmm. um and going back to like, without getting too religious or anything, but like the whole idea of a, of a savior coming in and doing for you what you can't do, nobody deserves that either. No, the yeah. worth is the worth is inherent, like just by being by existing. But but by Bonnie's own grace, <laughs> I I get to be a mom, and um, I just don't know many people who would have done that. And like IVF alone was enough of an experience for me. Uh, That was a huge growing experience for me. Giving yourself injections in your stomach and all of that, like, I think you really have to be to a point of desperation to go through that. Because doctors are literally selling you hope. I was willing to buy it because that's all you have (laughs) is hope at that point. Hope is pretty potent and pretty powerful. It drove Jamie on through so many miscarriages and treatments and diets and appointments. And it led her to accept Bonnie's offer, which was healing for both of them. We talked to Bonnie and Jamie in May, 2022, just days before the baby was due. And of course, we needed to know how things have turned out so far. So we got back together in December, 2022, when baby Liam was about seven months old. And while everything has turned out well, healthy baby, healthy delivery, healthy surrogate, happy families on both ends, it wasn't all smooth and serene. So yeah, I was in the hospital a couple of times because I had, my blood pressure was just like out of control. So then because of the blood pressure, they started being really worried about the baby. And it was pretty surreal to go from, you know, one moment, you know, getting ready to kind of get things started. And then the next moment you're, she's in an operating room, she's cut open and by your head and Troy can't come. And then within just a matter of minutes, there he is screaming (laughs) (laughs) in the world. He was four pounds, 15 ounces. Just little bitty. They had uh, the ultrasounds were showing, you know, closer to seven. You want to talk about your emotions with that at all? 
I feel like I did it wrong. I wasn't supposed to have a C-section. I mean, Liam is great. He's healthy. He's adorable. Uh, Jamie sent me really cute pictures of him today that, oh my goodness, he's just so cute. But I still feel like I messed up because I wasn't supposed to have a C-section. For Bonnie's part, birthing Liam via C-section may have been a disappointment, a feeling of failure. But it reminds me of one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite books, Lila by Marilyn Robinson. I can't love you as much as I love you. Sometimes our feelings of love get all muted and mixed up in our human frailties. The willingness to go through pregnancy and childbirth for her cousin speaks to the level of love she had, even if she was not able to control all the circumstances. And Jamie and Troy, having waited for years and years and years, were perhaps uniquely able to meet the challenges of new parenthood and even the extraordinary circumstances of Liam's early weeks with strength and patience. He looked real good and we got to hold him. We got to meet him, uh, see and take pictures. And then they, they did his APGAR score and things were looking pretty good. And then the next thing you know, they say, okay, we're taking him to the nursery and we'll come get you in just a little bit. And then more time passed than was supposed to. By the time we got to the nursery, they were getting ready to admit him into the NICU. Liam was struggling with his blood pressure his lungs needed some help getting going, and his blood sugar wasn't stabilizing. He spent his first four days in the NICU, which honestly helped them all adjust a little more gradually to their new life. Jamie could sleep through the night for a few more days. Bonnie could feed Liam her colostrum. Liam could get adjusted with wonderful nurses on hand to help. And after four days in the NICU, Liam passed all of his tests and was discharged from the hospital, and he and his parents were homeward bound. But our story uh, continued quite dramatically after that. So we got home. We made the long trek home that's supposed to be about eight hours. And it took us what, about like 12 with a newborn to get all the way home. There's dust storms. There's all that. But we got home, got settled. My mom was in town and helping out, which was fantastic, trying to forge our new little life. And within, it was actually two weeks to the day that we'd been home from the hospital, um, Liam, we went to the emergency room with Liam. He was lethargic, non-responsive, and had a temperature of 102 degrees. In the ER, he was diagnosed with group B strep. He was admitted to the hospital where he spent the next 15 days. It was an extremely traumatic experience for both Liam and his parents, partly because he was so small. He endured lumbar punctures and unsedated pick line insertions and nurses that may not have been on their A-game. That was pretty horrific, <laughs> pretty, pretty scary, especially, I mean, he turned one month old in the hospital. He, he'd been, he'd spent more time in the hospital than he had at home in his first, you know, five weeks of life. That was really, really hard, but he's now six months old <laughs> and he's happy as can be, healthy as can be, and still does not love tummy time anymore but okay. <laughs> Which is not to say that now that Liam's health is better and Jamie feels more established as a mom, that everything is all roses, no thorns. Part of it is still feeling a little old to be just starting on this path, but part of it is... I've felt quite a bit of judgment, which has been an interesting thing. So like I figured, I, I guess I thought that it was going to be like this beautiful, like bonding experience that now we have kids. Like I have kids, you have kids. Like 
but I felt in the beginning actually quite a bit of judgment about how I was doing things because um, they were different from how other people has, have done them. And those other people feel very confident in their motherhood and very, um, you know, they have been mothers for a long time and been very successful at it. And I had moments where I was just feeling extremely judged, whether or not I truly was, I felt it. I felt that I was, and it was influencing my, my behaviors and, and also my, just my idea of self, because it was such a huge idea to, to shift. I'm 40 years old. Like I have, I'm Jamie. And then now I'm, I'm mom and, uh, that matrescence, I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's kind of like this new term that's out there of this idea of um, kind of like adolescence where you're bridging the gap from you know, childhood to adulthood. It's bridging the gap from this identity, single identity to suddenly I am, I'm something else. I'm mom. I'm not just Jamie with a kid. I'm mom. I have to remember that uh, I have this intuition for this little being because he is, he is mine. And, uh, and trusting myself. She's been able to create some boundaries to help her preserve her relationship, both with herself as a new mom and with those whom she has felt judged by, which has helped her to learn to trust herself and become the mom that Liam needs her to be. And it has been rewarding for Troy as well, especially as he has been working from home and been very involved in Liam's babyhood. Troy, like Liam reaches for him. He knows him. He's six months and he reaches for him. He reaches for me, but there's no like, I don't know that there's like a preferential. So I'm like tonight we, we went grocery shopping and you know, Troy was holding him as we're just, I got the cart moving around, Troy's holding him and Liam just grabs Troy's face and he just starts giving him kisses, you know, or in the middle of the night or like, I guess early morning to feed him at 6.30. Like if it's still dark in the room, Liam will get up, he'll he'll grab our faces to see if it's me or if it's Troy, because Troy has a beard. So he'll just like, he tries to figure out who it is, you know? Like, I just love that. I love it so much. And what about Bonnie? Did she get what she needed out of the experience? Oh yeah, and I do it again in a heartbeat, even knowing, like even knowing that it was going to end in a C-section, if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't think about it. I'd totally do it again in a heartbeat. Wouldn't even think twice about it. He's, he's such a cute little squish. <laughs> and Jamie and Troy are just like, I, I get pictures of them and just seeing the smiles on the fa their faces and just how happy they are. And you can just see like the light and just how, yeah, it's just wonderful. And it just makes everything totally worth it. When all is said and done, despite all the trauma, the 17 years of losses, the anxiety, the procedures, and the patients, Jamie is clear about her feelings about being a mom and how it has changed her perspective. I love it so much. It has uh, definitely opened up a whole new world of emotions and experiences and joy that I just didn't even comprehend. Actually, it's kind of funny. Um, when he was admitted to the ER and uh, they had like an advocate for us, I forget what her official title was, some sort of liaison for any time that a kid is admitted into the ER. And um, I was just chatting with her and uh, I asked her, you know, she's like, hey, is this your first baby? And I'm like, yeah, one, probably one and only. 
but yes, definitely first. And um, do you have any children? And she responded, no, but I, you know, I work with children all day long. And the funny thing is that old Jamie totally would have said something like that, having been a teacher for 17 years, you know, oh, I work with kids all day long. And mom, Jamie was like, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know. It is a totally different experience having your heart live outside of your body in this other little being that there's nothing that you wouldn't do for them. Like watching him go through this, like he was literally yellow, like watching him experience this. And I wish I could have been the one dealing with the pain because to watch him go through that was, like I said, it was hell. So yes, I love being a mom and it has brought me immeasurable joy. And, uh, and it's been super fun to see my husband be a dad as well, because it has brought a whole new, <laughs> a whole new level to his existence and to see that how much Liam loves him and how much Troy loves Liam. So it's pretty, pretty dang wonderful. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for coming along for the ride. We'd love to hear your thoughts and we'd love to share your stories. Come find us on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, cocoonstories.com, 